Holy shit. Okay. Pardon my French, guys. And please, if you have kids in the car, I'm sorry, kids. I know you weren't supposed to hear that, but I just got done recording the best episode in the history of E1B2. I believe I am almost north of 200 episodes, and this was by far the best episode I have ever been a part of, the best podcast I've ever even listened to, and the most tangible advice that I've ever received in my entire existence of being a professional, an entrepreneur, a leader, and a thought leader. I loved it. Thank you so much. Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale, the founders, the leaders, the owners, the practitioners of the great brand of Raw Signal Group. You guys killed it today. Thank you so much. We talked about a ton of things, guys. First and foremost, we talked about COVID-19. But you know what we did? We got very tangible and very practical around a few things that may that may catch you guys by surprise. We got a little bit outside the box with perspectives and nuances around COVID-19 that I think will help prepare leaders and organizations to be more productive once this all goes away. And we also talked about the reality, which is it's okay to sit in your thoughts. It's okay to sit. I don't want to say in your depression, but it's okay to sit in your sadness a bit. It's okay to sit in certain spots that are a little bit more sensitive and feel the negativity, feel the the sadness, feel the, the 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 things that are happening right now, feel all the things, all the emotions that you're feeling. It, it's probably very confusing. It's probably very hard. And so we just touched on that. We also touched on how to be a leader in uncertain times. We touched on the most important questions bosses should be asking their people during this time. They also gave me a lot of perspectives and a lot of insights and ways to look at my brand within the E1B2 holding company brand Monday Anticipation, which I am so thankful for. Thank you guys for that. They also dived into a lot of things around you know, career mapping and, and best practices around revamping culture and, and things that we can do during this COVID-19 layoff, pause, if you will, and how we can kind of go back to work in six months to a year or in two weeks or in two months, whenever it's going to be, and kind of have a revamped culture, a revamped operational unit, a revamped you know offerings, a revamped brand, and, and how to go about that in a way that is very tangible, that is very realistic. We also dove into mental health. We also dove into manager burnout. And we also dove into all things employee experience as it pertains to leaders and managers and organizational culture and just really how to craft and mold an organization that is designed with empathy, that is designed with authenticity, that is designed with practicality and just being a real leader, being a great person, being a great human being and putting the people in your organization first. I am so honored to have, first of all, One thing I didn't even realize is that Melissa and Jonathan both have blue checks on their Twitter. So I think I kind of had some celebrities on today's podcast, which I kind of maybe have to uh, give myself a little credit here. But besides that, like this was amazing. Uh, I'm so blessed. I'm so honored. I'm quite sure it's going to take someone amazing someone grand to 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 overtake this podcast and take the number one slot the number one seat for the best podcast in the history of e1b2 but i know for a fact again that all of you guys that will download this that will listen to this will enjoy what you are hearing will will be able to take a lot of tangible insights value and information from today's podcast so please get ready 
I don't even want you guys to be driving while you listen to this. I want you guys to lay down in your bed, sit down in your office, find a nice cozy spot, put your headphones on and just sit back and enjoy. Take notes, write down, you know, all the different perspectives and nuances that that are that are sparked um, from this moment and just find different ways to take this podcast and put things into action tomorrow. Take this podcast and put things into action two weeks from now, two years from now. Take this podcast and use it as a catalyst, as the motivation, as the trigger, as the driver to make a change. I am so thankful to Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale. I am so thankful to all the podcast listeners that have ever listened to the E1B2 podcast. I guarantee this will be the best episode you have ever heard, and I guarantee you guys will enjoy every minute of it. Thank you so much to the E1B2 community, and thank you so much to Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale. Have an amazing evening, day, and afternoon, and please... Enjoy today's episode. What's going on, guys? Anthony here, back again with another episode of E1B2. I have two amazing guests today, not just one, two. Melissa and Jonathan Nightingale. How are you guys? Hi, Anthony. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having us on. 100%. Thank you for the late night recording. Yes. You know, know, it's actually kind of refreshing. Um, I kind of like it. Uh, I usually have to wake up pretty early, so... I'm sipping on some wine here, so guys, if I if I start to slur, please uh, don't mind. We'll back me. you up. It's okay. Um, <laughs> that's it. Um, I don't like to usually give anyone's kind of background. I think everyone uh, can can speak on that themselves and kind of probably tell the story a little bit better. So, uh, if you guys can, because I am very impressed. We didn't even talk about this off off recording. Um, I am very impressed with what you guys have put together um, from a consultancy perspective. So please. Uh, Tell me, guys. Tell me what you guys have put together, what you're still continuing to try to put together, and uh, some of the brands that you guys are working with, and or some of the work that you're doing. If you're not willing to disclose those brands, sure. So let's start with we are. So um, Melissa and I have been uh, executives in startup. Well, we've been working in startup and tech for the better part of 20 years each, and until about four years ago, and in early late 2016, early 2017. Uh, a bunch of stuff changed. Uh, it started because we started writing. We started writing blog posts about the stuff we'd learned about managing the hard way, the stuff we'd learned about like what can go wrong in an organization and its leadership and, and stuff we'd wish somebody had told us. Uh, that turned into a best-selling book. That was great. Um, but around the same time, we decided to leave our jobs as tech execs and start a company called Raw Signal Group. Yeah, and I think part of the the reason why we felt really motivated to start uh, Raw Signal Group was that we were we were married co-founders and and sort of off in our respective organizations building really great teams, building really great sort of management cultures underneath us. But then we felt like we looked around at the tech industry as a whole and and sort of the broader community as a whole which is the work is not working for a lot of people like this is this is not going well for many of the folks who are showing up every day wanting to do a good job um and and really encountering a lot of resistance along the way and so these days raw signal group uh does management and leadership training a lot of our work is one company at a time you know we, we go in we get the entire management core we take them out of their day-to-day and, and sort of run them through everything from the fundamentals about like what is your job? How do we keep score now through all the, the skills building stuff? Because this is the thing like we, we joke about it, but it's true. One of the 
most sort of rebellious things we believe at Raw Signal Group is that you can learn to be better at this stuff, that there aren't born leaders, right? This is a bunch of skills that you can develop. This is muscle that you can build. And so we do that work. Like I say, a lot of it was one company at a time. And then in 2019, we started doing more ticketed events where we'd bring together, you know, 100 bosses at once and do some intensive work. Obviously, in, in 2020, bringing together 100 people in a place is, is a bit tricky, but um, that's okay. There's, there's still bosses out there. There's still work for us to do. Well, one thing that I really like about what you guys said is, first of all, you guys have figured out a way to navigate a relationship where you guys are raising two beautiful kids. Um, you guys seem to still be getting along and you're running a company together. So um, if you would be open just for 30 seconds, just tell me how you guys have navigated that because um, I'm, I'm, I'm on about six years here with a beautiful young lady that's, uh, that's downstairs and uh, she's an amazing person and I love her to death, but I am still trying to find a way to navigate my professional career and a relationship. And we don't even have kids yet. So tell me how you guys are pulling that whole. Well, people always ask, they ask us a lot. They say, okay, you're married co-founder. It's like, how does that work? And I'm like, I don't understand how you co-found a business with somebody you're not married to because we like, it, it just, true. I, I think when you're, when you're first starting out, when you're, you're trying to build a company from the ground up so much of your time, effort, energy, and brain is focused on, on how to get that thing off the ground. And I think it, it's, it's very hard for me to imagine living in a different house and trying to coordinate that. Yeah, I feel like sort of any founder who's got a, a partner that isn't part of the company, functionally, that person is a founder, right? They're hearing about the business constantly. They're thinking about the business constantly. They can't help it, right? Like you, you got somebody in your life that you care about who's building a thing. You, you, you're cheering for them. You want to help where you can, right? I, I think the other funny thing, though, that the part of our story that we don't tell very often is that when we decided that we wanted to build a thing for, for like 10 hot minutes, um, I had decided I wanted to build a company doing more management and leadership work. And Melissa had decided she wanted to build a company doing management and leadership work. And we just had to both say it out loud and sort of stare at each other and be like, well, that's stupid. We're going like, to compete against each other. We're not going to do <laughs> two of those and like cross pitch the same clients. So like, you know, we, we connected yeah. those dots pretty fast over the, over the course of one drink, I think, but like, um, but yeah, that was, that was part of it is that we both saw the same need at the same time. And it, it helps that like Melissa and I met working, right? We, we met when we were both uh, at Mozilla in the early days of Firefox when it was still growing like double digits month over month. Um, and so we knew that we could work together. We knew that we could work together under sort of intense and fast changing circumstances. Yeah, I think I think folks always assume it, it's got to be awful or painful, but it, it's actually a lot of fun. And I, I, I feel like I get to go to work every day and we're in the same corner and we, we, you know, you, you can't get sort of more aligned around the incentives of building a business together when like you live in the same house, you're like, all right, this is it. We either make it go or we don't, but if we don't make it go, then I don't know who's paying our bills. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very motivating as a, as a financial choice, having both people take their income to zero while you've still got a mortgage and young kids. Hmm, that's a choice, but um, but it's it's paid off. We we like where we've gotten to. That's very interesting. Well, I'm proud of you both. I'll Thank just you, I'll just say me. that. Um, let me let me ask you this. Um, and and actually, let me start here. Both of you guys can actually call me AJ. Um, I let I let my friends call me AJ. So I think I think we'll we'll cross that we'll cross that path now because I actually made this on the podcast recently. 
I need to start introducing myself as AJ because no human being, <laughs> professional world or non-professional world, calls me Anthony. So I have no idea why um, I continue to do that. Professionally, um, people call me Melissa, but outside of that, no one does. And so if you if you ever see me on the street and you say Melissa, it will usually take me about two minutes before I realize that you're talking to me. Yeah. Not even professionally, people call me Anthony. So I have no idea why I'm trying to like create this facade of Anthony when really it's just AJ. So um, I'll, I'll give you guys that. But um, tell me this: what uh, what are like the the core the core themes you guys are super jazzed up to talk about as it pertains to the work that you do with brands and leaders? Um, I, I know there's probably a multitude of different services and offerings and and topics you guys touch touch on, but what do you think the, the core of what you guys talk about is or, or what are you most excited about? I know everything, but like, if you had to narrow it down to, let's say, two to three. I think what the, would those the first be? one Jonathan hit in the, the sort of upfront introduction about Ross Signal Group, I think the thing that, that we really hit harder than most folks in our space is that you can get better at this and that nobody came out of the womb knowing how to do this stuff, right? I've never met a boss who feels like they have it all figured out. And I've certainly never met a boss who feels like the first time they managed, they were like, oh, it just all clicked into place. And suddenly like, you know, angels sang, lights went off and it was just like exactly easy. And I, if I, you meet that boss, they're, they're lying. Yeah. They're lying. <laughs> nobody feels that way. And so I think that piece we get, we get pretty excited about because I think it's, it's a part of leadership that that it, once you say it out loud, it's very normalizing for a lot of the folks who feel like they're struggling, but silently, and that they're the only ones who are having a hard time. Yeah, we, we get it sometimes with our clients. They'll bring us in and they'll say, well, you know, we, you want all our managers. I'm going to give you all our managers. But I got to tell you, these two are sort of a, they're not going to take to it. They're only doing that because we asked them to. They, they're, not, they're not natural. They're not built for it, right? And we just, we just send them on in right? Because like those people are often excellent. It's just that they've been, they've been force fed this diet of like, leaders look a certain way, managers talk a certain way. These are the things you're supposed to care about. These are the things, this is the way you're supposed to carry yourself. And like, they don't see themselves reflected in that. And so they just internalize this message that, that they're no good at this, right? Like, give us those people every time. Like, it, it's just, it's so powerful. And I guess it's the second thing I'd say is that you know, we, we joke about it, but like you go to a cocktail party, you go anywhere, right? And somebody asks like, hey, what do you do for a living? The last answer you ever want to give that person is I'm a management trainer. People, people will walk away. So they'll be like, oh, someone's calling me from the I other side gotta, of the room. I it is the most boring sounding job. Like you really get that, it right? But like, it's the second thing we try to get through to people is like, this can be an incredible career right not just like because it pays like it, it's an incredible thing it's an incredible amount of trust to to hold for an organization but especially for your people to like be the person they're talking to about their career to be able to sponsor them and put opportunities in front of them but also to pull them aside and say hey that didn't go well and we need to talk about it right like it's an incredible opportunity and also an incredible responsibility and i think the reason most people don't get to that place is because so many of the bosses they've had are, are coming in cold with zero training and, and just whatever they can learn on the job or read from like some medium post and like they have a really bad experience. And, and that's, that's what drives us a lot of the time, right? It's not that we, we wanted to just focus on bosses. It's that when, when bosses get better, work gets better for everyone. Yeah, I think the the third one that I'll add, and then I, I we probably could keep going, but you said three, so I'll stop at three. But the third one... 
<laughs> yep, I, I said it. Add is that like management doesn't have to be a dirty word, and I think there are all sorts of organizations out there right now turning themselves inside out to try and name a, a manager or something other than manager. I'm, we, a lead, I'm, I'm a lead. I'm a coach. I'm a I'm a player I'm coach. Advisor. I'm a right. Um, and I think once you you allow leaders to let in and internalize what responsibility comes with that title. Um, I think I think everything gets better, but I think there are a lot of organizations that are turning themselves completely inside out right now to avoid trying to, to try to avoid using that term. Um, and I think manager is only a dirty word if if your managers suck, right? Like if they're bad. Then I don't I don't want a manager if the yep. manager is going to be awful. But if the manager is going to be in my corner, if it's somebody who I feel like I can relate to, if it's somebody who can who can sort of navigate help me navigate my own career. Um, help me do amazing work within the organization. I think like that doesn't have to be a dirty word. Well, look, I, I, I appreciate you guys breaking that all down for me. And Jonathan, you said something, you said something that really caught my attention, which was um, a lot of people may view what you do, what I do, what a lot of us do as a boring job. Um, you know, I, I beg to differ for that perspective that people may have, because I'll tell you what, I'm, um, so I'm working on this thing called Monday Anticipation, which is like a lifestyle brand where I'm trying to provide not just motivation, but, 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 but true support to the employee. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of content, a lot of things happening for the leader. But one thing that I realized uh, about four years ago is, you know, my, I, I kind of look at my job and my role as a direct, you know, I, I kind of have certain pieces, certain pieces um, of responsibility around supporting and bringing value to their mental health, bringing, bringing value to their, their confidence, bringing value to their life overall. Um, you know, you know, it, I get up in the morning to see the, the impact I can make for someone to genuinely anticipate Monday and knowing that the people that they're working with and the managers that they're working with genuinely care about their life long term and the policies and the structures and the workflows and, and the things that they work on day to day are based around those nuances. Uh, th that That's a responsibility I look forward to. And so when I talk to people about what I do, and I, I kind of, I take it to that level. Like, like, look, I'm genuinely impacting someone's potential for, for true happiness because look, you know, we're at our jobs eight hours a day, sometimes longer, um, you know, five, day, five, six days a week. Um, you know, a lot of people unfortunately tie their self-worth with their, their job status with what they do from a day-to-day -day perspective, uh, you know, and obviously with the managers, right? If, if a manager is not a great communicator, is not creating an, a, a, a great culture, is not understanding, you know, how a person learns, how a person has a desire to work and how to get the best, best out of a person, um, that mm -hmm. can get people down at times. And so um, I don't know what your guys' opinion on that is, but I, I kind of take it to like another level where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely directly correlated to just legitimately helping someone's someone look at their life with a, with a different perspective. Yeah, we're and a, we're and a jumping over life. each other to get to the mic on this. So look, I, I'll say like, this is the thing that we say to bosses all the time. We say like, you know, motivation comes from autonomy, mastery and purpose, right? Do I, do I have room to, to do my work? Am I, am I being stretched in interesting ways? Am I learning new stuff? And do I have a sense of purpose about my work? But but you go out there and you find organizations that have the most incredible purpose, right? Nonprofits that are out there changing the world or like, 
companies like like Disney that are creating magic for their customers or whatever your thing is where you're like, wow, that must be an incredible place to work. And I guarantee you, I will find people who are in that job and hate it, right? And, and what's going on there? How could you be at a place that, that seems so great from the outside and having a job that, that you, you're not looking for? Thing that, that, that makes a ton of sense to us that, you know, we see it through the, the boss lens that if I find those people and I say, what's going on? How are you in this place that's so amazing and, and you're not having an amazing time? I guarantee their boss is not set up circumstances for them to do great work and see that purpose reflected in their work right they're they're showing up they're cashing a paycheck and probably feeling even worse for the fact that their friends are telling them what an incredible job that must be and 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 how much they must love it we we do this exercise with leaders um and and we've now done it with thousands of leaders from all over the world and is this neat thing we have them just think of a moment in their own management like in their own experience of being managed so sometime in their own work history where somebody was like their boss and a moment that either like where they felt really seen by that person or where they felt really not seen by that person. So where like where that management either really connected for them or where it really missed them. And the neat thing is that for a lot of leaders, this like this reversal of like, don't don't think about the people who report to you, but think about your own experience of being managed by somebody else. There's this aha moment at the end of it where it's like, oh man, like that moment was somebody's like, throw away Tuesday, they were hungry, they didn't have a sandwich. Like that was just like a moment or a blip in their life, but it really had meaning for me and my life and my career. And then you flip it around and you're like, yup, and that's what you're doing for your people every day, either to the good or to the bad. And it is a, it is just a, the, like, like AJ, is the, it is the coolest thing to watch the, like the sobering <laughs> look on people's faces where you're like, that's, that's what the gig is. That's what the job is. Yep, yep. I, I couldn't agree more, guys. Um, and and the last thing I'll, I'll I'll touch on there to put a bow in it, and then and then we'll uh we'll we'll definitely address the the, the elephant in the room here and, and and try to to bring value to so many that are going through such a hard time here. Um, you know, something I dive deep into is like the psychology of it. Like, um, so there was about a two I want to say a two year span where I allocated like financial resources putting a team of people together, finding all the, the latest and greatest blogs, you know, individuals like Keith Ferrazzi and Christine Comerford and David Rock. And I started going deep into like neuroscience. Like I, I got a little bit, I got a little weird there. And I was like, I want to understand how the brain learns information and, and, and how it picks up on different things and how it can be stored because I want to help leaders unlearn and unpack their behaviors, unlearn and unpack what they're doing. Because that's 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 a piece that I don't think enough leaders are realizing is that, like you guys said, you know, your previous your first four jobs helped mold what you think leadership should be. You know, you're potentially the way that your father treated you at times and your mother treated you at times or your first internship. All these different experiences molded and shaped your perspective around what you felt a job should be and what and what a boss and a manager should look like. When in all actuality, if we were to just sit down and have a beer or a glass of wine and have a very authentic conversation, you would probably unpack some of the things that you're doing and be completely disgusted at them. Um, and so, I don't know. I just I've, I've gotten into that mode where I try to I try to genuinely not only be empathetic, but 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 help leaders kind of unpack where it originated from, um, so that we can then 
start over that fresh. Really if that really does. Um, I I will avoid nerding out too much on this, but my my degree was in cognitive science, and so like I could I could talk at length about about oh, there you go. brains and how they work. Um, but I'll say like sometimes with bosses, it's the deep stuff that you're talking about here, right? That there's like there's stuff that they have not grappled with that's shaped their own perspective and biases that's like showing up every day and if you could just show them video of themselves they'd be like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing that i can't believe i'm acting that out right like there's that stuff and that that stuff in particular is a place where both coaching and therapy can be really powerful for folks yeah one of the things we do with our bosses honestly is to say like you know here's here's what you should expect from an executive coach if you're working with one and here's the stuff where what you need is a therapist and if that feels like scary or or vulnerable to you it's worth spending some time thinking about why because it's okay to invest in your mental health and and that's not something that an executive coach can fix for you right um but sometimes the stuff that that unlocks things for bosses is, is really much more superficial so we have this trick um that that we give bosses sometimes when we're talking about their own resiliency um it's this acronym called the halt h-a-l-t uh, and HALT stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And what we basically say to bosses is, look, like when you're in a resilient, thoughtful, integrated, intentional place, you don't need HALT, right? You can you can be really, you can somebody can bring something to you that's hard. You can be creative and collaborative about it. That's great. When you're a mess, when you didn't sleep, when like you feel like you're under a great deal of stress, chances are you're not making good decisions. And worse, chances are you're making decisions that are going to do the kind of damage that's going to take a long time to fix, right? It it takes you like 10 seconds to send an email at three in the morning, blowing up your team. It takes a lot longer than 10 seconds to put your team back together. And so we gave them hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's used in a bunch of different circles psychologically, but um, it's basically a checklist, right? It says if you're about to, if you're about to blow up in a meeting, if you're about to fire someone on the spot, if you're about to like, do something that's going to be hard to undo, just run that list. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And the more of those things you you check off, the more likely it is that like you're not making this decision from a from a clear-headed place. And it, it's going to be one of the ones that you're going to regret making later. No, we say that's a moment to like put your hands up and step away from the keyboard. Just just pause, right? It, it's four letters. You can tattoo it on your nose. Yeah. Like, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yes. Some yeah. CEOs probably <laughs> should tattoo it on the knuckles. <laughs> All right. Um, so that that's amazing, right? I probably could stop the episode now because uh I've not only have not I've not, have I not heard that, but as you were as you were talking that out, I was actually thinking about so many circumstances where not only I could use it, but I, I'm just thinking about certain executives in the brand I'm working for now where that really could have come in handy. Um so I guess let's let's talk about what's happening in the world here, but let's talk about it from a different lens. I, I think there's plenty of content. Um Everyone knows what's happening here. Everyone, I think, knows how it's affecting businesses um, at a micro and macro level. You know, what I want to hear from you guys is actually like, what are some of like the empathetic, like operational, like getting to the nitty gritty best practices that leaders can be acting on at this time? So, like, if you're one of the 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 brands that are that look quite privileged and honored to still be operating today whether you're an essential business or you were just super 
you know, great with your, with your, with your cash flow and your, you know, cash reserves and the way that you've structured your organization to still be operating right now. Talk to me and get as tangible as you guys can just about, you know, what they really can do um, to, to have empathy, to be patient, to, to restructure their, their work right now. Uh, but then more importantly, to really support the employees and put yeah, them I think first. In what, a, what are your guys' a, thoughts? In the that? context like the one that we're operating in right now, you've got you've got people with a bunch of different situations happening, right? You've got folks who are at home where they're at home and and maybe they're getting bored, right? They're a little bit restless. They're like, I've been at this. I've been sort of working from home and, and at home for many weeks, but mostly I've, I've watched all the Netflix specials I can watch and I just am I'm sort of bored of it. And then you've got folks who are home yeah. with young kids underfoot and they're like, I wish- Or with a sick family. Or with her. a sick family member. And they're like, I wish I could watch Netflix specials. That sounds so great right now. <laughs> like that is not, that is not my experience. I'm getting 10 minutes of work done and then sort of running back and forth to try and take care of everybody else. Um, I think that the, the variance that we're seeing right now and that we're hearing from from founders and from CEOs of, you know, I've got a I've got a workforce, but not everybody on it is in the same situation. Yeah, I think, you know, you talk about getting practical. The first thing I'd say to, to any leader is in a, in a crisis, there's no such thing as a typical employee. There's no such thing as a typical response. Right. You've got to go case by case, which is why it's really important that your managers are competent. Right, because they're they're the only way that you can go out and reach everybody in your staff. But I think you can you can extend that into some specific examples, right? So Melissa mentioned like people with caregiving responsibilities, whether it's a sick family member or, or young kid at home or whatever, right? Those people are not going to be able to do a full shift, full stop. And if you've got plans in place for your business that are that are dependent, you know, let's say you got a customer support team, right? It's got ten people on it, and you had a uh, speed that you could process tickets at. You had an amount of service that you could deliver, you know, when you weren't in crisis. Well, now you're in crisis. And if you're still expecting that team to run at that speed, it's going to, it's going to blow up in your face. Right. And not like you're going to start getting poor reviews, although I bet that'll happen, but you're going to start to, to trigger some real health issues for your staff. You're probably going to see a lot of attrition. And even if you don't see attrition now, you're going to see burnout now and then attrition, when we're all able to go job hunting again, right? So like you have to adjust whatever your plans were in January, they, they're not valid now. And you need to figure out what's realistic now. And, and that's gonna be unpleasant because you're like, I can't imagine that we would go from answering every question within an hour to answering every question within two days. Like what a hit to customer service. Yeah, maybe. But if your entire customer service team burns out, you, I promise you're going to have bigger problems than that, right? So like recognizing where the adjustments need to be made and making those, that affects everything. It's not just workload. It's, it's how many things people can be keeping track of at once, right? Healthy, happy workforce. You could have three or four strategic priorities. Oh, we got our main product and then we got a couple things that we're trying to launch, right? In a crisis, people can't hold that many things in your head. So you got to get really clear on what is the most important priority and have I communicated that effectively? Because my people are not reading emails very carefully. Yeah, I was, I was going to sort of underline the piece around communication. I feel like in a crisis, um, particularly in a situation where things like the facts on the ground are changing rapidly, you want folks to feel like they've got a clear line to a, a source of truth. Um, and in a lot of organizations right now, I still see leaders who are relying on synchronous communication. They're saying, you know, dial in for the all hands, join the Zoom call. And if I miss it, then 
where do I find out that information, right? Like where, where's the backstop against the assumption that I'm going to be available at some set period of time throughout the day? Because I think a lot of folks are finding that really challenging right now. Um, and so we're seeing leaders who are, who are sort of making progress within their organizations where they, they do have the all hands, but then they make sure that notes are taken, right? That, that it's captured somewhere to make sure that the people who weren't able to be present for it, either because they're sick, they're caregiving for someone who's sick, or they have other caregiver responsibilities within their own families, um, don't, don't miss the information entirely. Because I think a lot of folks feel adrift when they're working from home generally. In a crisis, you really want to make sure that those folks have access to the information that they need in order to do their jobs when they are ready to sign on. Let me let me start here. I love you both, right? Because you guys just got super granular. Uh, and again, um, you know, typically people are just always at a very macro level. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, looking at a lot of content via LinkedIn. There's a lot of macro information. You guys got really granular around what managers and leaders can actually do. So I appreciate that. Um, I have a question that might throw you guys off and it just kind of hit me. Um, so I already got to talk to you guys about the, the, the brand that I'm trying to create, uh, another smaller ancillary brand, uh, Monday anticipation. That's really for the employee. Um, and there's actually going to be a podcast connected to it. So this is probably <laughs> be a question that I should ask on there, but now that I have you here actually though, what can the employee do? Um, so, 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 so work with me here. What, what can the employee do as it pertains to, being a better employee for the boss during the situation. So what I've been very much realizing and the empathy, empathy that I have as an employee is I've before been a boss as well. I've been CEO as well. And I know what's happening in the minds of the managers and the executives and the yep. CEOs there. They're freaking out too. Yep. There are things happening in their families as well. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this, but I've been actually pondering it myself is how can the 100 200 500 1000 employees that are that are working for these brands that are still running how can they have more empathy how can they be more patient how can they at a very tangible level be a little bit more empathetic to the manager and to the brand during the situation because frankly i could probably argue that it's okay to be selfish right now i probably could argue that i probably could argue that both sides of the table can be as selfish as you want to be but it's not going to obviously bring any value to be selfish. So being empathetic and being kind and being compassionate and being patient, what can the employee do to help the manager better lead them? But more importantly, not actually more importantly, but at, at a different yeah, macro we, level, lead the conversation brand with a friend well. the other night who was talking about like, I, I need more hands-on management than I'm getting right now. And I understand why I'm not getting hands-on management right now, but I need more than I'm getting. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the realization of I, I need more than I'm getting. And then, and then sort of the second question, which is like, where are you feeling it? Right. Because if you can come to your boss, if you come to your boss and say, you know, I need, I need you to check in more than you are. I think it's really hard right now for a boss who, who's sort of dealing with their own stuff to, yeah, I need a pony to, like, right, to know where to, to know where to apply that piece of feedback. Right. But if you if you have a specific area of I don't have your eyes on this or I'm blocked on this and I can't go until you you either give me a yay or a nay or you give me your sword. Right. Like I, I either can go and, and we can check in later 
um, or I can't go and I need it all. I need your, your sort of time and attention and energy on this. Uh, but I think a lot of folks who, who haven't done both sides of the table and, and AJ, I love that you're like, I have sat in all the seats. I think it's, it's a really helpful empathy building moment to have sat in all the seats, but for folks who haven't just trying to, to sort of internalize that bit of, okay, what do, what do I need the most right now? And if I only have 10 minutes of the person who's answering that email's time and attention, what do I want them to spend it on? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a couple of principles here that I would, I would offer, right? One is if you don't have reason to expect otherwise, hope that in a situation like this, people are showing up to work trying to do a good job. They're very constrained, right? They're, they're hobbled in terms of their ability to do it. But whether it's the, your, your teammates, whether it's other parts of the organization, whether it's your own boss, whether it's the CEO, we hope that basically they're showing up trying to do a good job, right? The problem is everybody's in some level of fog. Fog because we're all remote. We don't communicate the way we used to, or they're in fog because they're freaking out because they they just read some article about like new ways that this terrible thing is more terrible. And like, that's messing with their ability to concentrate on work, right? Or they're in fog because they've got their own life happening at home that they're trying to deal with. If you're not in fog, you can give them clarity, right? If you can see, hey, I know we're running in a bunch of directions at once. I know everybody's asking you for things, but like, I've noticed that this part of what our team is doing doesn't make sense. It's taking a lot of energy right now and it's not, it's not the stuff we need to be working on. That is a gift. Because if your boss had seen that, he or she would probably have gotten rid of it already and they didn't, right? And so like, if you've got that clarity, yeah. normally you want to assume that your, your boss sort of sees the same state of play that you do and maybe they've got access to extra context. Right now, you may be seeing things that other people in the company, whatever their title is, are just not capable of seeing right now. And so sharing that clarity is really useful. And the last thing I'll say is, if you're an employee who like, yeah, your boss is frazzled, so are you, right? You're not able to, to commit to like an eight hour day or whatever. Like if you're, if you're an employee who's also struggling, yeah. this is a hard one because you got to gauge it by how much trust you've got with your own boss. But, but I, as a boss, would want to know from my people the actual data, right? If the truth is that like you're going to get an hour out of me per day and it's going to be after the kids go to sleep, right? So from nine to 10, I'm yours. It's but a like, very productive hour. But truth be told, that is all you're going to get from me. Like, I need to know that yeah. so I can start to figure out like what work to put where, what work I need your brain on, right? If, you, if, you're, if you're pretending, if you're like dialing into all the Zoom calls, but just like turning off your camera so you can go deal with like a screaming kid or whatever, then I feel like you're on eight hours a day and just doing a job of it. It would help me a lot to know that actually like that's all just performance and there's, there's really only like 90 minutes I'm getting out of you. But you have to have built that trust. That's it. It's, right? Like that's, it's a hard piece of advice to, to take only because you, you, need, you needed to have built that trust all along. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I refer to that and I don't even know how I coined this. I call this like emotional glue. Um, I talk about this all the time with my operations guy, Naya. Um, when I first joined the company that I'm working for, I took a lot of concerted effort time building what I call emotional glue, like legitimately being a friend, legitimately being someone that cares about your life and understanding how you tick, understanding who you are and building that glue so that anytime we are frazzled, anytime there are disagreements, anytime there, there, there's a moment where there's disconnect, we can always come back to that safe place that I love you, you love me, I respect you, you respect me, 
Let's make a joke. Let's move on. Um, and, and you have to have had that to some degree um, for what you guys are saying to work to a certain extent. Um, I have another out-of-the-box question as it pertains to COVID-19. Because, again, guys, like I said offline, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get brands to think about this from a different lens. There's a lot of the same content and a lot of the same questions being asked. Um, I kind of want to get to more like the hard-hitting, very tangible things. Um, and you guys are killing it right now. So I have one more that's a little bit out of the box. So brands that are not, and this is a selfish question, obviously, because I told you guys about my background and what's happening with my company right now. Brands that are not working, right? Brands that don't have the luxury to be in action at the moment. They've either had to lay off 90% of their staff or all of it because they just frankly cannot operate at this moment due to the situation. Do you think through the cloud, through the fog, and this is something in the moment right now that I'm, I'm trying to articulate. And look, I, I, I've been through a lot personally, guys. I've been through a lot personally. I've been through a lot professionally. So, you know, that builds up a certain, you know, level of thick skin for me to be able to navigate, you know, a lot of, pardon my French, but a lot of fucked up shit, right? I I can handle it. Um, But I can't always expect someone else to. So how does a leader right now that has worked so hard, so hard to build a brand, no matter what the size, to employ people, to change people's lives, to provide food for their families, and they're told due to certain circumstances or the decisions they've made prior to this where they, they couldn't foresee this happening, they are not in the position to still operate the company at the scale, the size that they once did. How do they look at this opportunity as a, as a moment to revamp, look at operations, look at culture, look at systems, look at offerings and restructure and, and come out of this stronger than where they were before this happened? Um, I have a lot of tangible, not theory, me, me and Naya, my guy, we're, we're putting together a lot of tangible practices in place and, and things in place to really come back from this stronger if we can make it. And, and I want to try to get your guys thoughts on what other companies that are going through, what we are going through right now, what can they do? Because I know there's a way to come back from this stronger and better and more thoughtful and more strategic, um, but I know the fog is real. I know the cloud is real. I know, I know the depression at times is real. So I'm what would be your guys' thoughts, perspective like, and opinion do, on that? Do you want to start? Okay. I, I would say like, you, you can't skip the grief, right? Like there, there's such a, in the business community in particular, there's such like a, a go-getter, like hustle, like make it, make it all, like make something out of nothing, make it all come together. And like, you can't skip the grief, especially yep. for leaders who are having to downsize, who are having to lay people off, who are having to like tell people who help them build the thing from the ground up that, that they don't have a job. Any, like there's, there's, there's a moment before you just stop and say, okay, what are we doing next? Let's like run full force into the future. There's a moment of sadness. And I feel like there's no sense in trying to skip the sadness. Like got to sit in that. Yeah, that's true. And, and mm-hmm. like, um, we, in terms of like, sort of sitting in that sadness, another piece that, that I think a leader's got to let in, and, and I hear the opposite advice, and I, I don't like it. I think you have to let into your head and your heart, this thing might not make it, right? It might not make it through. And I need to, to see that and stare it down and say, how will I know? Right? 
is it is it a week from now is it a month from now like if the closures are still going in july is that when i is that yep. when i lay everybody including myself off and sort of wind it all up like how will i know i hear advice all the time that's like you know failure is not an option you just you just dig deeper you you, you dig in and i just like i don't I, I haven't lived that way as an executive right i think you've got to know what the options are and now from that place you're like okay does it make you sad does it make you sad that the thing's gonna go away why get really clear if my organization stops existing who other than me gives a damn right and why if you if you're out there doing something like you're a charity or a nonprofit, you're out there serving a community okay connect with that right what do those people need right now because it might not be what they needed a year ago but even if you're like even if you're straight up for profit, even if you like you run an online e-com store, whatever, what are your like if anybody's gonna miss you when you're gone as an organization, not as a person, knock wood, right? But like if anybody's gonna miss your organization when it's gone, why? And connect really deeply with that. Who are those people and why are they gonna miss you? What's the what's the gap that's left if you're not there? And what does that tell you about the work you gotta do for the next six months, right? Like Melissa and I, it's Nobody else needs to know this. We're just talking to AJ right now. But like, um, that's right. We sat down. We had this conversation in March. Just we talking to AJ. Down, right? Like, obviously, our business up to that point had been built around, like, in-person work. And we sat here in our living room. We had a bunch of the stuff that we brought home from the office. And we said, like, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? And Melissa got it. We've got one of those, you know, those giant 3M pads that are, like, like basically like a whiteboard, right? The giant post-it notes that are like two foot by three foot or whatever, they're poster sized. We had those sitting in the living room with a bunch of stuff that we'd taken home from the office. And she took one out and she wrote, we're not done yet. And for us, that was not like denying that it was possible for Ross Signal Group to denying that like, no matter what, we're just going to figure it out. It was, it was more existential than that. It was like, there are still bosses out there who don't know what their job is. There are still people working for bosses out there who don't know what their job is. We're not done yet. And like, she wrote that on the post-it note. And then Melissa and I started doing weekly calls with bosses because we're like, we, we can't monetize this yet. We don't know what the product is. We just need to be out there helping bosses because they're all dealing with this shit and it sucks. Right. And like that post-it note, it, our daughters have added a bunch of doodles to it now. So it's not as pristine a business document as it once was, but like, that's what's driving <laughs> us now is that like, we do have a constituency who would be sad if we were gone. And if we, if we lose the plot, that's the thing we go back to, right? Because if you anchor off that, the thing it gives you is clarity to throw away a bunch of the garbage that made sense when you were happy, right? Like, you, you did you had internal political stuff between different parts of the organization or you like you had this partnership that didn't make a lot of sense but nobody really wanted to sort of have the hard conversation about it so we'll still sort of carry it along that stuff is the stuff that's not going to make it through a crisis right the question about whether your org does or not is whether like whether you yeah. can really develop that empathy for who are you out there serving and what those people need right now and if 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 you can find a way to address that, it's not a guarantee, right? Nobody's got a ton of money that they're throwing around at everybody with a good idea right now. But like, it's the only path I know to, to getting through this is to, to make sure you're helping the people you, you set out to help. I, I, I loved everything you guys said. Um, you know, for me, 
you know, I very much, it's very easy for me again to kind of go to um, let's call it that, that potential dark space of what if this doesn't make it and kind of flush out all the different variables to that reality. And then, and then work my way all the way back to where I'm sitting now. Um, And then again, I guess, you know, for me, what I've tried to help my brand do right now, what I've tried to help us understand is, you know, this is the first time and the eight years of this company being uh, uh, running the six months that I've been here, well, we all yep. don't have our Google calendars jammed to the max. This is the first time we can sit back and look at all the things I was trying to bring to the table. Um, because so the company that I'm working for, I'm a hybrid. Uh, that's just my that's just what I am. So, uh, you know, I am the I'm the I'm the director of all things employee experience, then I jump over into operations, then I jump over and oversee branding and marketing, and then I jump over and I and I and I handle all time. I just like a founder around because I know a little bit of everything. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, but I've kind of doubled down on the people side of it that I really, really have a, a strong connection with. But, um, you know, I was trying to explain to them, like, look, this is the first time, guys, we can look at everything. This is the first time we can look at revamping our partnerships. The first time we can really double down on what we would think our branding and our marketing and our communications will be coming out of this. Our first time to revamp the employee experience model I was trying to bring to the table and bring to life, but we were only being able to dip our toes in it from time to time because we were drenched in 60, 60 hour work weeks. This is the time. Um, let's get excited about this. And then I, you know, I was looking back at a lot of blank faces and a lot of stress and confusion. Um, yeah. And to be very frank with you, it was hard for me to understand that in the beginning. And then I had to remember, you know, empathy is important. Patience is important. Allowing people to be sad and be uncomfortable uh, is, 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 is important. Uh, the body needs that. The mind needs that. Um, so I guess to put a bow on it, we've done that, right? And I'm sure a lot of other brands have done that. So now we're in the second month. Now we've had a month of, of facing those realities. What would you say about what I just said? What would you say about really sitting back and saying, okay, Let's peel apart this whole thing. Let's peel everything apart. Let's get excited about it. Let's get very entrepreneurial. Let's let's get very motivated. And again, it's probably you probably can hear like the energy in my voice now. It's probably my sports background, where it's like, no, we're not done yet, baby. We're we're gonna figure this out here. Um, how do how do how do how do I articulate that as a leader? How do more brands articulate that um, within their organizations and say, okay, let's. We're, we're, we're down by 17 points right now. That seems so much better than us right now, but we're going to figure this out, but we got to do it strategically. We got to be smart about it. How do they go about that um, once they've gotten past the, the sadness and there's just the reality of the stress? How do they move past it and then get very, very strategic about it? Or, or, or do they even do that? Is it, is it, is it a one-by-one-by-one empathy respect I'm, how each I'm individual handles this and sports, not push too hard I feel like every every startup founder i know is like so excited about the white space right they're like because they're like well i, I want to go build a company i don't know anything about that that industry that's okay i'll figure it out right and like i think so many people come to entrepreneurship from a deep like it's okay if it's not all sorted i'm okay with the ambiguity i'll just sort it out and I think many leaders that we work with, one of the things that happens is like the very early crew for a lot of startup organizations is like people who who are okay with that level of ambiguity. They're okay. They're they're pretty comfortable in a 
in a, well, we don't really have it all figured out. We're sort of making the car as we go down the highway situation. Um, and then as the organization gets bigger, they hire all these people who like really wanted, they, they were attracted to an organization that had more structure. And then now we're faced with the situation where all the structures remo removed and a lot of people are finding themselves like particularly leaders who come from that, like, I don't need a lot of structure. Like I don't, I don't need it all sort of fully baked in order to be able to thrive are looking around the table and the blank stares thing is all the people who are like, I, I do need those things in order to thrive. And now I don't have it. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. And you seem really comfortable, but I am not comfortable with no, like yeah. just table flipping, no structure. Yeah. You know, um, Melissa and I write this newsletter um, every other week and the most recent one went out just last week and the, the title for it was the end of the beginning right? We're not at the end of this crisis. We're not going to be the end of this crisis for a long time, but we're at the end of the, but we're at the end of the beginning, right? Like we, we've seen the initial first spread. We've, we've shut down, you know, most of the world. Um, we, that first part has happened and, and everybody's in their own stage of sort of processing it. And it sounds like, you know, you got there faster than some of the people around that table, but like, Everybody's got to process it at their own speed. I think your empathy place is right there. But if we're at the end of the beginning, then the next step is the sort of the endurance, right? It's, it's the marathon where now it's just who can, who can make it through. And what I like about what you're pointing to is not just that there's an opportunity to do that work, but also that like people who, who do not have caregiving responsibilities, people who have used up all the Netflix, they need something to sink their teeth into because they're going to be coming out of the grief, right? They're going to be coming through the sadness and they're like, all right, I'm ready to get to work now. What do you have for me? And in that moment, as a leader, being able to say, we're getting, we're starting over, right? And here are the most important things for the, the world we've got right now. And I want us to align all of our work because we've got like a really clear top number one priority or even just because we want to build a work back plan and say, look, the world's going to reopen in ways that help our business at some point. Let's say that's not for six months or, or whatever it is. What will we want to have done by that point? What do we need to have in place a month before, you know, we can start hosting big events again or, or whatever your business is, right? Like, what do we need to have in place three months before that? And just starting to give people something concrete because the the real challenge is not that they don't like AJ's idea about like reevaluating things. The real challenge is that they don't feel like they're standing on solid ground right now. And as they, as they come out of that grieving period and they start to feel a little more sort of clear headed, you being able to say, here's the work we have in front of us right now. It's, it's going to be hard work, but it's going to set us up. Well, that's going to be a, a gift for them. I think, I think you maybe just got the gift out a little early. I appreciate that, guys. That was very helpful to me, selfishly and personally. And again, I know, I know there are hundreds of thousands of businesses that are on that cusp. They haven't quite closed their doors yet, or they maybe have closed their doors, but it's but but it's for a period of time here. They're kind of putting the business on pause, and they know they have certain contracts lined up, or they have enough of a enough of a brand in the marketplace that once they return, the, the you know the consumers will be coming back. And again, I just think this is a really interesting time to revamp some things and, and, and kind of get things back on track here. Um, 
I appreciate your guys' perspectives on all of this. I do have one final question. Um, and then I'm trying to actually start ending the episodes in a weird way where I see if you guys have a question for me. Um, uh, I, I listen to this podcast where he does that at the end of it, and uh, I want to steal it because I like it. Um, it kind of gives the, uh, the, the guests an opportunity to kind of flip it around a little bit, which is nice. Um, the very last question I do have is um, I'm working on something where and, and, and I haven't, again, I haven't operationalized it. I haven't even worked it out with like the language yet. So I'm really kind of just spitballing it here with you guys. I think you will be able to help me out with this. So I'm trying to, what I, I, I'm trying to bring more value to the employee before they get a job. What I mean by that is during the interview process, I'm trying to provide, whether it's, a, whether it's something we email over whether the CEO says it to them in person, the management team says it to them in person. I'm trying to have the, I'm trying to avoid the situation where an employee meets the managers, meets the CEO, meets everyone in the company and everyone's on their best behavior PR wise. But two weeks into two weeks into it, they very much realize the workflow doesn't fit what they were looking for. The work that they're doing isn't necessarily work they thought they would be doing. The, the, the quirkiness and the flaws of the leader does not jive well with where they are in their personal life from a mental health perspective. How can, how can leadership be more transparent, be more authentic about those variables, right? Look, here are our flaws, right? Here, here's what's happening from an organizational structure perspective. Here's the type of, of, of work that's really going to be happening here and get incredibly chance transparent and, and and tangible with that here's what you're going to be walking into now i i know that the typical answer would probably be it's not in the best interest of a brand to do that if if the brand is not if the brand is not in a good state but at the moment with this question i'm not really worrying about that what i'm worrying about is the employee right employees first like i'm trying to make sure the employee doesn't get in a situation where they make a move to another city, they take a risk on a job, and six weeks in, they're scratching their heads and they're regretting the decision they made because they are blindsided. Um, and with that, I want to help leaders figure out ways to articulate what's really happening with their leadership style, what really is happening with the culture, what's really happening with the structures. Um, how do they do? How do we do that? Oh my God, we, we have so many thoughts. What, what does that um, look like? I'd say first and foremost, if you, if you hold up a mirror and you don't like what you see in that mirror, that's on you. If you're a leader within the organization and you hold up a mirror and you've got candidates coming into your organization and you're embarrassed by what they're walking into, good news, you are one of the people in charge. Like you are, you are absolutely on the hook for it. And and if you don't like it, then then go fix it. That's what we're paying you for. Yeah, I think. Um... You know, one of the first things they teach you when you're learning about like, you know, ads online, right? Like Google ads online or whatever, is that most rookies think you want an ad that can reach as many people as possible, right? You want to choose like super broad search terms and stuff like that so that you can reach anybody who might potentially be interested. And most pros say, no, you want to start very specific with the people most likely to buy the thing you want to sell them, right? And you can gradually open it up. But when we see employers doing yeah. job search, they're they're back to the rookie move, right? They're trying to make something that will appeal to everybody and, and have all the same snacks as the next startup over, right? Especially when we're talking to, 
tech startups and all the same perks and stuff. And there's a, there's a level to which, of course, you got to compete in the market and that's appropriate. But, but as an employer, I think the, the pro move is to get really specific about here's where we are and here's what we're working on, right? I think it's scary. It should be scary for anybody to go to market with a message that says like, we're a very flawed workplace and you're going to have a bad time with it. Right. And, and as Melissa said, like, if that's, if that's the message oh, sure. you're taking to market, you, you probably want to do three months of internal work before you start to hire this role. Yeah. There's some scrubbing to do before yeah. you bring anybody into your Titanic workplace. But I have totally, like when I was running engineering teams for a startup, I have written job descriptions that said basically like, here's the state of our tech and we're not proud of it. And here's the work that we're doing to fix it. And that's why we're hiring you, right? We want to hire someone who's excited to do this work with us. You're not going to come in and, and have us tell you that we've built some beautifully modern thing. You're going to come in and see exactly the tech stack we promised you in the interview, which is sort of a mess. And we're trying to untangle it. And we want you to help out, right? And like for the right candidate, that's catnip. An actual problem that they're genuinely excited about. Like it's, you know, there aren't a lot of people who are genuinely excited to come into like a, a really hostile environment and, and help make it better. But honestly, I, I will take a, an employer who's telling me clearly, this is where we are and this is the work we're doing versus pitching me a story that doesn't live up to it. Cause that's just a recipe for me disengaging within three months of getting on the job. And it's so expensive. You think about the amount of time and energy that goes into to getting a candidate excited about the role, getting them to interview with your organization, the executive time. Like if you've got multiple managers taking time out to interview that person, to have them start and then two weeks later bounce because it wasn't like, it wasn't as advertised, right? It wasn't what they thought it was going to be just in terms of the organization, like then you have to do that loop all over again. And the, the, the awful stat from Harvard Business Review is like, if you lose somebody you didn't mean to lose after doing all of that, it's 1.5 times annual salary to have that person walk out the door. And I think, I think, you know, you can, you can say, oh, well, it didn't work out, but like, yep. it's, it is an expensive, oh, it didn't work out. Exactly. Exactly. That That's super helpful to hear. Um, I guess we'll wrap it up this way. Do you guys uh, have any questions uh, for me? I don't know. I, you probably don't, but uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying this, uh, this new format out with you guys. I think, um, I think I have a few interesting thoughts in my head that maybe you guys want to um, know more about. I don't know where my family is. And I'm curious to get your read on things down there. Cause I, I feel like, um, Every day it's something different, right? I talk to, to my folks, I talk to my siblings, um, but I'm, I'm, and I always think that like, if you're talking to family, they're trying to give you the rosiest yeah. picture possible. And so I'm curious to get your read on how things are right now. People are doing a pretty good job here of not being out a bunch. The roads are clear. It takes me 28 minutes to get back to my hometown and it traditionally takes me 45 50 minutes from where i live um you know the grocery stores of course are ridiculous um but uh things from that perspective people are typically following the rules here um on as far as the cases and things of that nature um it's it's not great from what i'm hearing there was a moment there and i'm sure your folks told you about that where 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 Maryland was getting a very strong surge. Like it was very 
it was very uh, it was very aggressive here for a moment there. But from what I've been hearing, the news is saying we started to taper off a bit. So um, I, I, I'm, I am pretty proud of the people here for the most part. There hasn't been too much um, pushback or bucking. Um, mm. There was a little bit, though, over in, I want to say, with Annapolis, I want to say. They were, they were, I don't want to say, they, they weren't rioting, but they were very much uh, pleading their case of why we need to open businesses back up. All right. But, uh, um, for yeah, the two of us part, on the call, so we each get a question. So um, you've done a ton of stuff on partnerships. You've been a yeah. CEO before. You understand how brands take their story to market. And one of the things that I'm very curious about, I mentioned earlier we do a newsletter, right? And and we really like that method because it lets us engage with people. It lets us get our thoughts yeah. down in a way that we can go back and check on. They can be of the moment, but but still we can go revisit them. You're recording a podcast and it's a thing that we've never done. And I'm curious how you made the decision, right? You could be writing a newsletter. You could be writing a, a medium blog. Like how did you decide this was the right format for you? Ah, problem solved. I suck at writing. <laughs> um, well, that's the first. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I, I and that's the truth. I suck at writing. Um, I suffer from severe ADD. Actually, um, you probably have heard it in my rant today. I kind of bounce around. Um, but I've been taking medicine for the last fifteen years for it. So um, writing and, and and concentrating at a very discipline level which i believe you do need to have when you're writing at times to make sure that it's it's flowing correctly and, and it's articulate i it's not my strength um but beyond that though i think i'm just a great i think i'm a great speaker i think i'm a great communicator i think um and and i and i enjoy it um from a business perspective though the reason why i personally so so here's something i don't know if this is a tip for you guys personally but i'll just give this as a macro tip and an answer for your question so for me I started the E1B2 podcast selfishly for three reasons. Aww. Number one, I now have met you guys and have a relationship. So as I'm putting together E1B2 brands and money anticipation, all the different brands I'm looking to start here, I'm going to need to create an advisory board and a team that I, that I, that I, that I rely on. And I'm very much going to keep you guys in mind and throw a couple points your way as I'm putting some things together, because it gives me an excuse to, to connect with people that I genuinely believe that they are competent and i've now had the last you know 90 minutes to build that that bit of a relationship and now i have their their contact information um the the second reason for me personally is uh i wanted to to learn and study like i told you i have this this crazy habit this crazy tradition of two hours a day i don't care if it's christmas i don't care if it's my birthday i don't care if it's my girlfriend's i don't care if it's our anniversary i'm studying two hours a day before we're heading to dinner um, it is something that I do, um, and it was. It's very easy to to to, to do this and, and get that that hour or two in. Um, and I guess here's a tip for you or any other brand. I think it's very easy to do the traditional marketing, right? Um, whether that's SEO, whether that's you know uh, paid ads, whether that's uh, going the partnership route. But what I think would be pretty interesting and then obviously social media and, and blogging and newsletter and, and all the different ways of marketing your brand for me really what i'm doing is i'm also bringing on guests that i think can be a strategic partner down the road so i'll give you a very concrete example uh i had my very first guest fasula samson 
is uh, a leader in the nonprofit space um, in, in D.C., and we, I brought her into the podcast twice, but from the very beginning, I already had in my mind two to three types of relationships from a professional standpoint that we could probably have. Um, and I had, I had them in the back of my mind and I thoughtfully crafted and molded our conversations as well as our relationship at a professional level around that. Um, and so we are now um, starting a partnership around some, some work that we're going to be doing in the employee experience space connected to one of my services that I'm trying to get off the ground here. And that was something I put into my, my, into my thoughts a year ago. Um, and so, you know, if you are a brand that wants to strategically align yourself with other brands or other leaders to go to market faster or grow quicker, a podcast is a beautiful excuse to get them on the podcast, flush out that relationship piece, figure out if they're pretty competent. And then now you have their phone number, their email and their contact information and you can build on top of that at a strategic level long-term. Very helpful answer to that uh, question. If that answers your question. Yes. So um, I appreciate you guys. Uh, I don't want to hold you too much longer. I want you guys to be able to enjoy your evening. Um, This This is one of the greatest episodes I've ever created. We're like, we're Um, grinning. We're having a good time. You guys, how Good. Good. I really love it. Um, and I, I will be begging for you guys to come back for a part two at some point when this is all done, maybe a few months down the road, I'll bring yeah, you guys sure. back yeah, on we and, and we'll talk again. about a, a number of other person. things. And either you guys way, are open to he's that. got our contact information. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's it, right? I got, I got you now. Uh, no, but uh, I appreciate it. And again, I am going to be, and I'll be transparent as well. Like I am very much going to be thinking about you guys um, as it pertains to just getting any sort of thoughts, perspectives, support, advising that you guys can give me um, by looking at your LinkedIn profiles and your pictures. I, I was like, whoa, slow down. You guys were in your late 40, uh, late 30s, early 40s. Um, yeah. Um, so you guys look great for your age, number one. <laughs> Um, and then number two, you guys have just had 20 plus years in this game and I, I, I could definitely learn a lot thank from you. that. Thank so, you, um, thank you. Have a good I thank night. you guys again so much for, for joining the show today.